0: Thanks for tuning into the Excel Legal Podcast, an interview based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer. And I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm really looking forward to speaking with lawyer, facilitator, trainer, and coach Jason Stitt about dealing with difficult people. Welcome to the Excel Legal Podcast, Jason.
1: Thanks, Shelley. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself?
1: Sure. So I am. Um, I like to refer to myself, I guess, as a recovering lawyer. Mm-hmm. So went through law school, articled, and then uh, wasn't so interested in a lot of the components of getting into the weeds of the legal profession, and went in a bit of a different direction. So what I do now is working as a mediator a bit of arbitration, adjudication, that type of work, but primarily teaching workshops on things like dealing with difficult people, negotiation, dispute resolution, and mediation. And so uh, we teach workshops for the public for anybody to sign up for. Also, I'm an adjunct professor at U of T Law School teaching negotiation. So a lot of my time these days is spent uh, teaching negotiation, working on that recovery. Mm-hmm. Working on your recovery? You know, <laughs> working on my recovery as a lawyer, um, and sometimes assisting in other people's either looking to go in different directions as lawyers, uh, either changes in the practice, getting out of the legal practice, or just enhancing their skills for working within the legal profession.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit more about lawyers, um, our, my favorite topic. Well, I think as lawyers, we often encounter people that are a little difficult to get along with, whether um, we're talking about opposing counsel, clients, judges, even our own colleagues. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, what makes someone a difficult person?
1: I'm going to say that this is an example where I'm still working on the recovery, because my answer is the most lawyer answer possible. My answer is, it depends. I think the truth is, anybody can be a difficult person to somebody else, and anybody can be a not difficult person to somebody else. What tends to happen is there are particular behaviors, I think, that people exhibit which we can find difficult. And the behaviors vary from person to person, and finding it difficult varies a bit from person to person. So a very common one is somebody who's aggressive, loud, uh, talks a lot. Those can be quite difficult behaviors for someone to deal with. And I think uh, know-it-all also could come up. Those are pretty common ones, I think, in the legal profession. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the be end-all, be-all. You're a difficult person. It's a problem.
0: So why is it that there are certain people that, like for me and for you, for example, we probably would view the same person differently in that that person might push certain of my buttons, but not of yours. So again, like, how do we manage our reactions, I guess, is the best uh, way to phrase the question that's sort of circulating in my brain right now.
1: Yeah, and it can it can be so challenging to manage our our reactions to these, these behaviors that really get at us and that really bother us. One of the things that I think is most beneficial in my experience in trying to deal with particularly behaviors that I find particularly challenging is trying to identify what those behaviors are. I try to take a step back and notice. When am I having a disproportionately strong, out of whack from the norm, emotional reaction to something that someone else is doing? And generally speaking, when we're in the moment, we don't realize that we're having that reaction. When we're in the moment, we think this is a normal reaction. The other person is doing the most absurd, ridiculous thing that's ever been done in the history of the world. How could they possibly do such a thing? And then the next day, or the next week, or a few weeks later, when we're talking about it with a friend, and we're having to frame it in more of a third party perspective, we sometimes tend to realize, okay, maybe I can sort of see that that wasn't the most ridiculous thing ever. Hmm. And so looking back on it, we think, what caused me to have that reaction? What was it that they did that caused that? And then in the future, we're better able to recognize it while it's happening. We're better able to identify while we're in the heat of the moment, while we're in that conversation, oh, I'm having this disproportionate reaction because it's triggering me to think about this thing. It bothers me because of this. And then of course, the next question is, what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. I find when I'm in those situations, when I'm triggered, I try my best to, as whatever mechanism I can, take a step back. Take a break, take a little bit of time for myself, just breathing. Often, when we're in those situations, we forget things like breathing. If you can take a 10 minute break to refresh your thoughts, to refresh yourself in a conversation, that can be really helpful in order to go back in and have that conversation. But the number one key to me is identifying it. How do we identify those situations while we're in the situations?
0: Yeah. So I would say sort of stepping back and it also seems like there's a little bit of um, bit more, I guess, from my perspective, more self-reflection involved from what you're suggesting.
1: For sure. I think a huge component of building any skills. And obviously I, I focus a lot on things like adult learning and we're teaching our workshops for ad- adults. <laughs> and In terms of adults being able to add skills, it's not quite as easy as when we're kids and we go to school and the teacher teaches something and then you have a young developing brain and you're really quite able to internalize new information. As we get older, it's harder for us to take in new information without having a lot of that self-reflection. And I think if we're going to be able to change our behaviors it needs to be through a mechanism of self-reflection, of self-analysis, of thinking through, why am I doing these things that I'm doing? And then the other thing that I think is really critical when going through that is remembering to be kind to yourself, because it could be easy to get down on, why am I doing that thing? I shouldn't be doing that thing. I know that thing's going to make somebody else upset at me. Why did I do that? And if If we can work on being understanding of ourselves, I find that's one of the very important and first steps in being more understanding and better able to interact with others.
0: Oh, that makes such good sense, really makes good sense. And I imagine the other strategies that would be involved in mediation and negotiation would also come to the fore in dealing with difficult people, like the idea of actually listening to the person or, you know, depending if this is you're having a conversation. And is that something that you that you teach in the uh, dealing with difficult uh, people course?
1: For sure. We we have a segment in our dealing with difficult people course on listening. We have a segment, believe it or not, in our mediation course on listening (laughs) It's so easy when we think about conversations to think about the talking component. And it's so easy to just assume the listening component. Anybody who's listening to this now, and I I know I speak for myself when I listen to podcasts, I often do it in a very passive way. I'm not listening actively, I'm listening passively, I'm driving, maybe I'm running, maybe I'm doing something around the house and I I want something sort of in the background. And we tend to think about listening that way. And I think there are some components of listening that work well that way. But then the problem becomes when we're in these challenging conversations, when we're in challenging negotiations with other lawyers, when we're dealing with our colleagues and they're a bit challenging, the problem is we sometimes revert to that sort of default way of listening rather than the more active, proactive listening, where we're giving our full energy and attention to the person. And it's something that I I try to practice a little bit, just in my life of trying to focus on very active listening, even just for a few minutes, can really help build that skill because we're so not used to doing the proactive or interactive listening, we're so used to doing this sort of reactive listening of just sort of, I'm doing something else and it's on in the background and I'm taking in the information, but I'm not really focused on it.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: if we want to impact other people's behavior and mediation, negotiation, dealing with difficult people, the practice of law are all about impacting other people's behavior. So if we want to impact their behavior, it's critical that we're listening to them and not just passively listening to
0: them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking though about a situation where, I mean, this is a classic I hear so often um, from junior associates that no partner has given them a task at the last minute and is really micromanaging and not giving them a whole lot of time to actually do the job. I think that most of us would classify that as being in a sort of a difficult situation, dealing with a challenging personality. How would active listening help in that situation?
1: I think active listening could could be helpful in that situation in a few ways. One, in identifying what's really important to the person. We so rarely say, and I say we, I mean, everybody in the world, so rarely says the entirety of what we mean. That's not that's not how language is evolved. That's not how we communicate. That's not how communication works. When we're conveying information, the words we say really convey a very small percentage of what we mean. Now, there's other things embedded in what we're saying that might convey more information. The number of times you repeat something, the tone you have, when you're saying something, if they're taking notes at the time, if they're writing notes at the time, if you ask a question, if you as the sort of associate younger younger lawyer ask some follow-up questions, in my experience, if I ask three follow-up questions to a more senior lawyer, they're not going to have the same tone and reaction to all three. And the difference in their tone and reaction will help me identify which ones are most important to them, which ones mean the most to them. So by really actively listening and paying attention, as a as a younger, less experienced associate, talking to a more senior lawyer who's giving you this work, your goal is, I think, to figure out why they're giving you this part of a deadline, why they're giving you this much to do. And sometimes the reasoning is, that's just the default. That's how we do things. <laughs> Sometimes the reasoning is it's really important. This is a really important client. The client really needs this as soon as possible. But focusing and paying attention to the way they're communicating the information is going to give you a lot of information. And you're going to want to ask some follow-up questions. If the follow-up questions you ask are just, can you repeat that? I think there's going to be a a feeling from their perspective of you weren't really listening, you don't really care, you're not really paying attention. And then how is that impacting their thinking of you, then they become more difficult for you to deal with. They think of you as a difficult person who doesn't listen to them. Asking those more purposeful questions can get at some more additional information that may make them feel like, oh, this person cares, this person's trying, this person isn't a difficult associate who always complains about getting work.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. You talk about the reversal that the as the associate would think, oh, it's the partner that's being difficult. But you know, the partner too. It's it's a it's an interaction between two individuals that come <laughs> with their own personalities. Uh, so it's interesting to think too that we could also be part of uh, what creates that tension or sort of the makes that situation more challenging than it, than it needs to be.
1: Yeah, there's a a saying that I like, which is everyone is the hero of their own narrative. (laughs) And the way I like to think about it is we all essentially go through our lives thinking of it as a movie starring us. We're, we're the star of our own movie and we interact with all these side characters who are a little bit difficult, who are a lot difficult, who are our friends, who are our colleagues, but we're the main character in our story. And of course, that's not the whole real world. Because there are 7 billion people who are going through their own movie and interacting with each other. And we don't know how other people are viewing us. We obviously view the world through our own lens. We can only view the world through our own lens. But to the best of our ability, if we really genuinely try to see how other people are seeing things, that's going to put us in a much better position to be able to understand why they're doing what they're doing. If our goal is to understand why they're doing what they're doing, we want to think about how they might be seeing things to be doing what they're doing.
0: Right. And again, I'm thinking back to that uh, that junior associate, that's something that would not be an, sort of an, a natural um, tendency. Any tips on how to help someone where that doesn't come naturally or where it's, you know, they're in the situation like this, where there is that sort of power imbalance, asking questions. I, I love that in trying to get a sense of what's behind the request or the behavior. But I was just thinking about how oftentimes it's how somebody says something as opposed to what they're saying that we tend to react to. So I guess wrapped up in that is like, how do we not react to the, how they're saying something and what are some suggestions on getting into their perspective a little better?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's very much true that it's not what they say, it's how they say it. And they they say, I think about 80% or something, 70% of meaning is conveyed through not the words that the person is saying. The words that the person is saying make up a very small percentage of meaning conveyed in conversation. How can we get beyond that? I think, again, taking some step back to the best of our ability and reflecting on it, I think naturally we're going to respond to the words that people are saying. You just asked me a question. I'm going to respond to the words that you're saying. Later, I might think about, oh, what was it that you were trying to get at? And it, you sounded interested in going a bit deeper into the the questions of why. But it's it's harder to reflect on that in the moment because when we're in a conversation, generally speaking, we're just responding to what they say. So one thing I'd say is answer what you can in the moment. Be reflective of it later. And then when you're having your third, fourth, fifth conversation with someone, you're able to refer back to some of that reflection that you've had after the conversation. And you more naturally are able to pick up on those cues of what they were really getting at. We have evolved as humans in a way where we're able to pick up on a lot of these nonverbal cues, which is why we do the nonverbal cues. It's all part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. It's part of our experience to be able to have these conversations and pick up on these things, having that reflective time afterwards allows us to much better do it the next time, allows us to much better do it in the future. In terms of impacting their behavior, because we've got a line that we like to use in our negotiation workshops that I think really applies here, which is the most effective way to persuade someone, the most effective way to persuade another person is to demonstrate that you are open to being persuaded. Hmm.
0: Yeah, sorry, I'm just, I'm ruminating, letting that sit because that's uh, that's really powerful. Yeah, can you go a little deeper with that? Yeah,
1: and it, it sounds counterintuitive. And I think there's some value in sitting with it too. It's the most effective way to persuade someone is demonstrating that you're open to being persuaded. If you think about it, Anytime you're having a conversation with someone, if if their perspective is, I'm not open to being convinced by you, whatever you say doesn't matter, I already know the answer and I'm just trying to convince you of it, we're not going to be convinced by them because they're not willing to be convinced by us. Why would I be willing to be convinced by someone who's not willing to be convinced by me? (laughs) The only way I'm willing to be open to hearing them out usually is if they show that they're willing to hear me out. I think about this as like a an internet comment section, sort of, where I think we've all seen in internet comment sections, how one person says something, and then somebody else says, ah, no, you're wrong about that. Let me explain to you why you're wrong. And then the first person comes back and says, ah, no, you're wrong about that. Let me explain to you why you're wrong. And they're just going back and forth telling the other person why they're wrong, but not open to being convinced by the other person that they're wrong. And when you have one person who's not open to being convinced they're wrong, you're much more likely to have the other person not open to being convinced they're wrong. And they're just banging their heads against the wall. I think we experience this a lot in the practice of law, because that's what essentially going to court is, you are, or going to arbitrations or adjudications or anything. You're making an argument, convincing the other side why they're wrong, and then a judge decides. That's not how persuasion works. At the end of court cases, you never persuade the other side that they were wrong. In negotiation and dealing with difficult people, you want to have that possibility more of impacting their thinking, having them question, is this right? Is this wrong? How should I think about things?
0: Wow, that's so interesting. How can we demonstrate that?
1: yeah and it can be really hard to demonstrate it, especially in situations where we're confident that we're right. But what I like to do is even as simply and as basically as it can be, go to the other person that I'm negotiating with that I'm talking to just say I really want to make sure i I fully understand where you're coming from. I want to really fully understand where you're coming from. I want to tell you what I'm thinking about it later, but I first really want to make sure I understand exactly what your arguments are and what you're saying and where you got that conclusion from
0: yeah so getting curious and asking questions and um again yeah just being open so yeah. like you say counter and counterintuitive to, <laughs> <laughs> to the way most of us uh, practice law and i'm thinking too like you know, we bring up the great example of court proceedings or litigious matters. But what about when we're dealing with our clients? Like sometimes we can deal with some difficult (laughs) (laughs) and challenging personalities in our own clients. Yeah.
1: And, And this sometimes comes up when we're talking in our negotiation workshops, because people often think about negotiations as external. It's my side against the other side. It's my client against your client and we're negotiating. But very often, The toughest negotiations for a lawyer are with their own clients who have seen an ad on TV that says, win a million dollars if you're in a car accident, and they were in a fender bender, and they think they're going to get a million dollars. Sometimes there's bringing that down to reality. Sometimes there's unrealistic expectations that come from other things. Sometimes they're just exhibiting these difficult behaviors that we were talking about earlier that are just difficult to deal with. And it's still a real negotiation and it's a real challenge. I think it's very important to demonstrate to the client that you care about what they're saying, that you're interested in what they're saying, that what they're saying is important to you. And then demonstrating and using to the best of your abilities some mechanisms of what we refer to as objective criteria, standards of legitimacy. Other things that might be comparable to their current situation to give them a sense of why their position that they might want to take might be out of whack with what the end result would be. And it's still demonstrating uh, it's your decision, it's your life, it's your case, it's your file. I'm going to do this how you want. I want to do the best job I can for you. Here are some things that the other side is going to be bringing up. And I want to make sure that we're best able to deal with that. So a bit of devil's advocate type thinking, a bit of counter thinking, emphasizing the importance of we're on the same side here, because if they feel like you're against them and you're trying to convince them, we get back into that situation where they're not going to be convinced by you. But if it's me and you trying to figure out what's the best approach for us to succeed, they're much more likely to be persuaded by you of what the best approach is to succeed.
0: Yeah, so that the whole idea of persuasion is at the root of this, all these different types of conversations, but also just in terms of understanding the drivers behind these difficult, what we call difficult people, that openness to, um, to see things another way.
1: And even in terms of we call our workshop dealing with difficult people and almost instantly get into the idea of, well, a different way to view dealing with difficult people is having challenging conversations. And so we end up focusing a lot of the talk on having challenging conversations, because how do you deal with difficult people? A lot of it is having challenging conversations. Changing perspectives a bit can be so valuable in coming up with ways to deal with challenging scenarios, when we keep seeing a similar scenario that we keep getting stuck in, going back to this example of an associate who keeps getting these ridiculous assignments from senior partners, or feeling like they keep getting these ridiculous assignments from senior partners, it feels like we're doing the same thing over and over, and we keep going into this. And it just gets more and more frustrating And we might tend to get, they might tend to get more and more entrenched in how they feel about it. Whereas taking a bit of a different perspective on it, thinking about, is there any different way I can think about this? Maybe it's talking to a colleague, talking to somebody who was in a similar position a few years ago, talking to somebody at different firms, comparing and contrasting situations. Looking at things from different perspectives really allows us to have those insights that are kicking around in the back of our head. That we're not going to naturally have,
0: yeah. And then also um, something that just popped into my head as you were talking is that idea that oh, it's happened so like this so many times before, it's going to happen again now. (laughs) Having these expectations, and then you know, of course, they're going to be fulfilled. Yeah, and uh,
1: I was doing training last week with a group, and it was it was my second training. I did two training sessions one month apart with the same group. So after the first session. They tried out some of the techniques that we had talked about in negotiations. And one of the people said, I, I tried this negotiation technique with the group, and they still just did the same thing as before. So I'm not, I'm not so confident that it's going to work. And what I said was, I think it can be valuable to give it a few different attempts. They're going to be entrenched in their way they've previously done things. The truth is, as much as we don't want to admit it, We're pretty entrenched in the way we do things. We tend to do things the same way. And one time doing something differently isn't quite enough to break a pattern. It needs to be a few times. And even if you don't get the results from it the first time, it's your first time trying this out. You're not perfect at something the first time you do it. Again, nobody's perfect at anything the first time they do it. It's just making progress, doing better. Getting better results. We're not looking for perfect results all the time. We're looking for better results because we can get better results and keep getting better results. That's going to accomplish our goals. That's going to get us what we want out of these situations, relationships, negotiations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just so fascinating, like the the, the dynamics of two people and how depending on, you know, what else is happening in someone's life at a given time, it can really affect the, uh, the interaction between uh, the individuals. You know, as you're talking, you're talking sure. about really having these difficult conversations is where you go in the training, which makes really, really good sense. I'm wondering, too, if sometimes avoiding the conversation is a good is that-
1: strategy? Yeah, I think it is sometimes a good strategy, depending on the situation. One of the downsides to thinking avoiding the conversation might be a good strategy is, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, sometimes we think, oh, I don't need to have this. Maybe it'll resolve itself. And then sometimes it does. And we think, oh, maybe this is another one where it will resolve itself. And it's not. And deep down, we know it's not. And we avoid having the conversations that we need to have because we feel like, oh, maybe it'll work itself out. There are some times where we're bothered by something. Maybe we've had a long day. Maybe we've had a rough week, a rough month. Uh, Everybody in the world has had some really tough times, I think, that we've gone through in the last few years. And to not acknowledge that for ourselves, I think, would be silly I think there are some times where we want to get into a fight with someone and taking the time to reflect and not have that difficult conversation. Two weeks later, we think, oh, actually, what they were doing made complete sense. I'm glad I didn't have that conversation. There are some times where that's true. There are other times where we might use that as a bit of an excuse for ourselves to avoid the conversation. And when that happens, it sometimes ends up where you have the conversation in a less productive way. So, if you can prepare for a conversation spend your that you're going to need to have that's going to be difficult, spend your time thinking about how to have the conversation, then have the conversation, you're going to do a better job than if you keep saying, I don't need to have the conversation, I don't need to have the conversation, I don't need to have the conversation, and then end up exploding at the person because it's so built up inside you.
0: Yeah. And that's... Yeah, that's, that's really tough because I think for a lot of us, that's the go-to is just like, okay, well, I'd rather just, yeah, not deal with this. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking of sort of on the other side of the conversation, us, and we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the dynamics between the two individuals, but how would I know that I'm a difficult person? Like, is are there any sort of signs that, <laughs> that I could you know, be on the alert for that might indicate that I'm the difficult one?
1: If uh, people start refusing to come on the podcast, that's probably an indicator. That, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if people have a bit of self-reflection and self-awareness, we can generally sense how people are reacting to us. I know I've experienced some interactions with some people in my life, where I feel like their mood has turned a bit, or I notice they're friendlier with other people and less friendly with me. In my mind, I think that might mean that they think that I'm either a difficult person or the way I like to think about it more is exhibiting some difficult behaviors Mm -hmm. because it's not who I am as a person. It's just some behaviors that I'm exhibiting might not sit well with some other people. But if you pick up on things like they seem to be having a hard time in the conversations, they seem to tense up, they seem to give shorter answers. If it's on on online calls, on Zooms, maybe they have their computer off more, or they're muting a lot. And when other people are talking, they're not muting as much. They might be saying things under their breath, or worried they're saying things under their breath, that type of thing. It may be a sign that they might have some sort of an issue with some of the behaviors that you're exhibiting. And I imagine the next question might be what we can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think having some awareness of what are the things that we do that might be more likely to bother people? What are some things that tend to bother and trigger that person? It may be asking mutual friends, mutual colleagues about if they've noticed anything about the person, if they notice any particular irritations that they might have around different things, depending on your relationship with the person, it might be having a conversation with them. And this might be an example of where we generally avoid these conversations. We don't want to have them because we think they're going to be difficult, but yet if we do have them, it has the potential of either making a better relationship, just saying, I noticed that this thing happened. I I wanted to talk to you about this. I noticed that when I said this, it seemed to bother you. And I just wanted to explain what I was thinking when I said that. I certainly didn't mean it in a critical way around you. But I recognize now upon reflection that you may have taken it that way. And that's completely understandable. I want to talk about more about it. I'm, I'm using sort of a vague example. But you want to take some responsibility for it if you're having a conversation with the other person. And then it could positively impact that relationship. I don't think it's going to negatively impact the relationship. If they're already finding you difficult to deal with and not wanting to deal with you, having the conversation is probably going to be a bit of a zero impact conversation. At worst, if there's ways you can improve it, it has the potential of being a really positive impact conversation where you just have a much better sense of why they're doing what they're doing and where they're coming from
0: yeah and it just makes such good sense to me it's it just it's so difficult in the moment and even upon reflection because I think it's difficult for us to take ownership of the fact that it might be us that's causing you know the problems um but the idea of just you know I'm hearing the idea of empathy just kind of creeping into everything that you're saying you know just really kind of getting a sense of where each of the people in the conversation are, kind of coming from, like perspective, but also like what's under underlying that and really getting it to, uh, get into the core of who they are and how they are seeing uh, this particular interaction.
1: For sure. Um, and I, I think, yeah, we tend to think about difficult people as this big, bad, difficult person when we recognize, oh, yeah, I'm a difficult person to some people, but it's not because I'm a bad person. I just had a rough day, or I really don't like talking about this thing, or I don't like talking in this way. If I had been able to explain that to them, they wouldn't think I was so difficult. It's again, yeah, going to this idea of empathy, of understanding, of not needing everything to be this, I guess, sort of legal mentality, me versus you situation, where it's me and you against a problem. There's a problem here. There's an issue. We need to resolve it we each have some ability to resolve it. You can't force another person to think a certain way or do a certain thing. You can force yourself to think a certain way or do a certain thing. And by your own actions, you can impact the other person to maybe think a certain way or do a certain thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's just so fascinating. And we're very complex beings and then we <laughs> come together and yeah, it just in it heightens that complexity. Jason, what an interesting and stimulating conversation from my perspective. I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to pass on to listeners.
1: I think we, we covered a lot of good ideas in terms of how to deal with difficult people and challenging conversations. I, I do think one other thing that's worth thinking about is apologies, how people apologize in different situations, because taking real responsibility for things tends to have a real impact on the other person for real, genuine apologies and situations. I think in our minds, we know why we did things in certain ways and we have our explanations and justifications around things. But think about a time where you've been interacting with someone and they did something you didn't like and they took real personal responsibility and you feel like they genuinely did that. How you felt about them. And I think that often. Taking that perspective, when someone else did this thing, how did I feel about them, can be really helpful in you deciding what actions you should take, how you should behave. Think about people that you admire, that you look up to in terms of how they interact with others. And if you can take some learnings from them of how they've impacted you, you're likely going to be able to impact others in a similar way.
0: Mm -hmm. I love the idea of an apology. It's really hard to do that authentically.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you need it to be a good apology. Um, I heard a story of a, of a lawyer one time who said, who had done something that uh, he was going to apologize for. And he said that he couldn't guarantee that he wouldn't do the thing again, but he wouldn't advise a third party to act in the way that he had acted. That's sort of like a perfectly lawyer apology to me. I don't think it was an apology that maybe landed the best.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, on that note, uh, Jason, how can listeners learn more about you and the work you're doing with the company that that to this point has remained nameless, uh, where you do your training? Where can listeners find you?
1: Sure. So um, if people want to hear more about these topics, the Stiffeld Handy Group is the name of our organization where we do the training. You can Google Stipbelt Handy Group, find the website. (laughs) Um, You can add, if people have any questions or want to talk or anything like that, happy to, always happy to chat with people about these type of things. I do find them quite fascinating. How we think, why we think the way we do and how to deal with difficult people. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Uh, My name is Jason Stitt. Other than that, you could, if people are interested in using me as a mediator, I also do that service. Also available, again, just Googling. I think that's how people find everybody these days.
0: Jason Stitt and uh, through Stittfeld Handy is the best way to find you. Yeah,
1: that's the best way. Our, our website, Stitfeld Handy, Jason Stitt. That's how to find me.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with me. And uh, yeah, just uh, lots of things for me to take away uh, from our conversation. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Shelley. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.